Hey snitches, welcome back. Basic snitches. It's Tara without Adam. Boo. But I do have Dan back here with me. What was up? And we have Victoria. Yay! <laughs> Today we're actually going to talk about Star Kids Fairy Potter musical. And before we do that, I just want to let Victoria do a little bit of an introduction. Victoria, what is your Hogwarts house and what is your Harry Potter history? So I will die on the hill that I'm a Ravenclaw. Hufflepuff. <laughs> but it's truly been funny to me. Dan will claim that I am forever a Hufflepuff. So I have adopted the Ravenpuff house for myself. Yay, hybrid houses. And that is the hill I will die on. So come fight me. But I used to be a high school teacher and I taught a Harry Potter in Latin unit with my fourth years. And last year when I did it, I thought it was fun to try and see what house my students would sort me into. And it was pretty evenly split between Ravenclaw and Hufflepuff, as it usually is. But as my life has changed, I have gone back and forth between Ravenclaw and Hufflepuff at different points in time. Dan seemingly brings out my very puffy characteristics, whereas on my own two feet, I am much more a Ravenclaw. I love it. I was trying to gloss over the history, but I mean, no, you can call yourself out. You don't really so, have a history. So fine, yeah, I'll call myself out. I read Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone for the first time in sixth grade when it was assigned to us. It was something that the Orange Group, which is my group, was reading, <laughs> and I was like, um, and then we had to do the accelerated reader project. And I was like, all right, well, the second book's on here. Guess I'll fucking read that. So I read it, stopped there, then was assigned to read Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone again as summer reading, but before my freshman English class. So I read Sorcerer's Stone again, had to analyze all the awesome names in it for their like Greek and Roman origins. I love all read the third book before the movie came out. Most of the people that I love in my life are like super Harry Potter fans. So I have actually seen all seven movies. I have only read three of the seven books. We still accept you anyway. You do, yeah. you do. Like I can, I can hang. My perspective always comes from a like, wait, that fucking happened? Okay. Well, yeah, that's all the movie book discrepancies. Yeah, are. as we're about to talk about Harry Potter musical, there were many things where I had to be like, no, 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 that's not canon. That's not a thing that actually happened. Holy shit, so much not canon. Well, because so, even like, I guess I've seen the movies and I know that the movies and the books are like totally not the same thing. So don't come after me. I know this. I'm aware. I've only seen the movies maybe like once because I think my ex liked the book series. I don't actually know. Magic! <clears throat> magic. That's all you need to know is magic. Wizards. We need to thank our amazing supporters, our patrons, and they are Ashley, Brian, Brittany, Jeannie, Layla, Mary Beth, Megan, Meredith, Nisi, Olivia, and Rath. Thank you so much for your support. It makes us feel good to know that you want to hear our voices a little more and you like us enough that you want to support this fun little project. And this week for the Patreon exclusive, Dan and Victoria and I play a brand new made up game that I literally came up with today. So hopefully you enjoy that. And if you are interested in the extra content we have for our patrons, you may go to our website, www.basicsnitches.com and click on the Patreon link and become a supporter for only $3 a month. 
Thank you guys. Dan wrote a thing. I wrote many things. He did. He wrote things. two things. So what we're going to do is actually talk about Barry Potter musical in sections. We're going to do act one and then act two. Because this is theater. We have it's acts. Theater. Intermissions. That's why I'm here, really, I feel. I am going to read a thing about act one. And then we will talk about it. And then Victoria will read a thing about act two. We'll talk about it. And then we'll play a game and go to bed. Who wins intermission, darling? Yeah, there's intermission in there and blah, blah. All right, act one of a Harry Potter musical. The scene, 1992, The Wizarding World. Summer vacation is over and Harry Potter is coming back to school to be the super awesome mega cool kid he is destined to be. But first, a quick trip to Diagon Alley to introduce us to his friends, Ron Kramer Weasley and the stick in the mud who would be cool if only she were actually hot, Hermione. Ron's stupid sister, Ginny, whose name rhymes with nothing, comes in with her racist assumptions about Cho Chang, whose name rhymes with everything. A host of other students show up, including my bae, Neville, the nerd, Longbottom, or Schlongbottom, as, as in the show, Cedric the Finder Diggory, 11-year-old henchman Craven Goyle, and finally Malfoy, who is rolling around the stage making us think a spine isn't the only bone he is missing. Finally, they get to school and we meet all three adults at the school. Headmaster Dumble adores Harry Potter a bit too much. Professor Sneaky Eyes Snape and Professor Hump Turban Quirrell. They inform the students that they are reviving the totally not copyrighted Four House Cup tournament that is nothing at all like that Triwizard Tournament. Sneaky Eyes picks Cho, Cedric, Malfoy, and Harry to be the champions. The students adjourn as Sneaky Eyes makes his first murder attempt on Dumble with a delicious bomb sandwich, which is quickly foiled, thanks Hermione. Malfoy rolls in to confess his love for pig farts and rocket ships and totally not his love for Hermione Granger. Meanwhile, Quirrell goes off alone to drop his dirty turban laundry all over the place, revealing his hump was actually Voldy the whole time. Voldy will have order with the dirty laundry, but Quirrell can't be bothered. What an odd couple. Winky face emoji. The school year continues pretty standardly. A visit to the principal's office to see his kickin' Zephron poster. A drunk professor growing out with the Dark Lord. More failed attempts on Dumble's life. Some dragons serenading and every student secretly wishing to snog every other student. Don't worry, they get further opportunity to overflow their pent-up hormones with the approaching Yule Ball. Ron and Malfoy learn things about themselves once Hermione does actually become hot, and a fight breaks out over Cho, resulting in Harry and Cedric grabbing the port key that Voldy has cleverly placed in the bowl of gross punch that only Harry likes. They are transported to the graveyard, where a sneaky-eyed death gobbler sacrifices his hand so Voldy can live his dreams of being a tap dancer, murder children, and break the bro code by blaming it all on his lover, Quirrell. Act one. And scene. My confession is I have only seen this very few times and I've only seen this one. I don't know about the sequel. I don't know the other uh, stuff. Yeah, the sequels don't matter too much. I don't, I have not seen the third one. The second one, they time travel back <laughs> the first year, I think was the whole gag. Mm -hmm. I saw that one once. I like the Harry Freakin' Potter song from it, but yes. this is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. I was saying to Steve earlier that this is not so much a parody as just people going off the fucking rails and I kind of love it kind of get mad at how it doesn't age well it really does not age well there are things that do and there are things that don't 
Right. Um, so I watched it for the first time in preparation for this episode. So I don't have the same like nostalgia factor of it in a way that others do. All the Zephron references, I'm like, okay, whatever. I mean, to be fair, he is still pretty big. They're funny for sure. But, you know, you talk about it 10 years from now and I don't think it's going to have the same... And that's just one small aspect. I appreciate the opening of it. How you think it's going to be following the normal trajectory of a school year. And then, no. If you're really looking at it, it's years one, four, and seven. And like nothing else really gets touched. But all happening in the second year. Like it's 1992. It's very much his second year at school. Oh, you're talking like calendar year type. Yes. If you look at Puffs, which we're in the middle of round two of currently, they do everything they can to be as close to canonical as as they can. There are so many things that are so well thought out that just fit in the story. And that's one way to do this kind of comedy. Whereas this is totally the opposite, where it's just let's throw in all of these comedic tropes and do all these things and morph the story to fit the jokes. Which is fine too. It's a good laugh. I'm a person who doesn't not like parodies. I don't generally come to them. You know, when I am thinking about the Harry Potter fandom and how much stuff that I know about it and like when I will read a book or something about it, what that looks like and then the number of parodies and jokes out there and how I've not really subjected myself to that. Not because I'm like anti it. It's just like, I just, I don't get to there. I have other things I can be doing. That's probably why I've only seen this a couple times. Have you seen any of the other Star Kids stuff? Just out of curiosity. I've seen the Firebringer and I've seen me and my dick. I think talking a little bit about them might aid this point because this was their first foray into anything. And it was this whole thing of, we just need a project to do in our free time of all these kids that were in college together. And they just kind of sat down and started writing this. It's it's all super student written. When they first premiered it, they got a ton of questions that was like, hey, how can we like do this somewhere else? And they're like, I don't know. We didn't write anything down. We just did it. I think that it's fun because this type of art form is really a thing that is important to us. And knowing that kind of backstory to it, I think just makes it a little more likable than it was before. No, I agree. Any art that's written, you have to be aware of the space in which it's written, the people who are writing it. And, you know, we naturally compared this to Puffs. They're two drastically different pieces written by two drastically different sets of people for two drastically different audiences. And literally 10 years apart. One aimed to be a parody, the other didn't. I don't think Harry Potter musical intends to be a parody at its essence. It depends on how you define parody. Because if I'm going with the way I understand parodies, I would say that Puffs almost aims to not be a parody. Puffs aims to be an extension of the story. It's very funny and it aims to be a comedy, but it aims to be an extension of the story. Whereas Harry Potter musical is very much a parody. Let's take these places and people you know and toss them around and and jumble them up. No, you're right. I had that backwards. Too many margaritas. Not enough margaritas. One of my favorite things, I feel like this is probably a lot of people's thing that they like about this, is the extension of the joke of Voldemort and Quirrell. Yes. Yes. Very much the most clever thing in the show. Honestly, the way that they do it is so fucking funny. I'm amazed at how those two actors worked together to do all that physical stuff on stage. This fucking scene where they're trying to go to bed. I was losing my shit last night. 
when they're laying literally on top of each other, one person face down against a probably very hard wooden platform. Right? Smushy dicks. Yep. <laughs> this is ridiculous. And that act, his arms are in the robe. Mm-hmm. So he can probably use his arms to some extent under the robe, but can't do it much because people will be able to see it, you know? Yeah, you can see him very deliberately trying to hold them tight to his sides. I mean, also you learn in act two, he is ripped as hell. So he's got no problem controlling his body, I am sure. When we watched it, I told Dan, like, this has been my favorite part of it. Again, from my memory of having read this more than a decade and a half ago, the whole Voldy attached to Quirrell thing is just kind of a side note in the book. Like, you don't ever... Yeah, they never define it. It's just like, oh shit, this guy was behind this turban his whole fucking time. That's the thing that I've never quite understood. Personally, in my own headcanon, Voldy's head isn't always under the turban. Like, he's not constantly eating the cloth of... Wait, he's not? His turban. In my head canon. They don't oh. define it. Okay, I was ever. like, wait, I missed yeah. that. I think his head kind of appears on the back of... Where the fuck does he go his... otherwise? Does it's, he like... it's his soul. His soul is attached to Quirrell's soul, effectively. Is, is it like... It God, does he fuck Quirrell from the inside? Yeah. Magic. I was like, all right, I'm snuggling inside now. This is one of those things where I'm like, it's best not to think about that too exactly. hard. Exactly. Yeah, there's a lot of things in the whole series that is like, we should probably not look at that too closely. And this is probably good that I haven't fully read it because yeah, you, you know will do yes. As I am literally sitting here analyzing if Quirrell isn't always chilling with Voldy's head on the back, where the fuck is Voldemort? Is he like inside Quirrell? Is he like magic, magic. school busing up inside? <laughs> I don't know, kids. What the fuck? Well, oh. back to very Potter Sorry. musical. <laughs> <laughs> There's a couple of things before this that kind of set up that this is really designed to be a theatrical piece. But this one really hits it home of this is how we do this on stage. And like, it fully breaks the fact that, okay, I know this is two actors doing this bit. It just really helps set the tone of the show. I would say that Quirrell walking in is maybe the first super ridiculous thing that happens. You get Dumbledore's entrance first that could arguably be like Quirrell entering and you just seeing his hump turban behind him is the first clue that you have to let the audience know, okay, this is the direction we're going. That's a super important thing. And a a really important point to make is I think we've all been in shows that were supposed to be comedic or serious or whatever. And if you don't have that one convention to set it up, to tell the audience, hey, no, it's okay to laugh at this Mm -hmm. or don't. It makes a very confusing experience for the audience. And at this point- I think you're 100% correct about that. I'm drawing on a a show I did Mm -hmm. where there was one line in the first two minutes, really, that if it wasn't delivered correctly- The audience didn't know they were allowed to- think it was a comedy which we had a couple performances it wasn't delivered correctly and it (laughs) became a very weird uncomfortable performance but once the audience is given that license of okay yeah no we're not going to take this seriously this is not a shakespearean-esque production it's not a dramatic retelling it gives you the license to play and have fun and as an audience member laugh at stupid shit very first thing that happens in very potter musical is him being alone on stage being kind of sad and then they're like this is gonna get ridiculous so you get 14 seconds darren chris looking sad and adorable and then it'll be weird and then it will be really fucking weird like that's how this goes absolutely and i love that (laughs) yeah yeah the piece is really designed well 
to be a theater piece presented to an audience where it's, yeah. it's a very shared experience mm -hmm. between the audience and the actors. So we're going to talk about Lauren Lopez. Oh, obviously. Malfoy not having a single bone in their body. It's so fucking random and I love it. And maybe this is just something to talk about. Was that just the actor's choice? Being Absolutely. Like, what would be crazy There's... is if I just roll around every time I get, is no. that... There's nothing okay. in the text that leads to that other than Malfoy being a little pretentious. Spineless, dickless asshole. Yeah. Is it a spineless thing or is it a pretentious thing? Is it indicative of, I don't have bones, so I can't really stand up? Or is it the pretentious, like, I'm going to make a grand entrance so you all look at me all of the time? It's kind of a combination of both, okay. but more yeah. the pretentious thing, in my opinion. Okay. Yeah, it's funny because the first time that she enters is kind of normal. She just does a, like a big strutting thing because it's in the middle of the song. But then the second time, I think she's carried on stage by the giant they have playing Goyle. Yeah, I'm like this guy is huge. He sets her down and she just immediately does a somersault over the bench and like just rolls all over. Or is that just how they enter in at Pig Farts? Maybe. You can very much tell that this was a collaborative show because of the amount that each character is really defined by the way that they move on stage. You can tell that the person playing the character helped to write the character. Oh yeah, absolutely. Some of my other favorite things in Act 1, other than the Zephron poster moment, I think a lot of people's favorite songs is the Granger Danger song. It's pretty great. Even right before that, Malfoy's line where he's rating Hermione. Oh, she's horrible. She's hideous. I'd give her an eight, eight and a half. <laughs> it's so Not crazy. less than a 9.7. There's always room for improvement. Yeah. It's good shit. It's just so stupid funny. And all of the Cedric jokes about being a good finder. Personal I get it. You do get it. I do personally <laughs> wish that there was like one more thing that really just tied that in. It's funny on its own, but I want one more joke out of that. Maybe it's near his death and it just softens that moment a little bit. Even in this heavy parody, that moment is as heavy as it is in the books and every other thing. Because it's literally just, they get there. Oh, kill this bear. I want a little more out of that moment to like remind me that it's comedy, but... I. Don't know if I agree with that, but you know, I'm not a person that typically enjoys let's make light of death. Like that's not my vibe. I think it's a delicate thing to do in a comedy, Absolutely. you know? I think the way they did it in this is fine. If it's a thing that has to happen and it's a comedy, uh, how do you do that balance? No thanks. I'm glad I don't figure that out. I do enjoy, not enjoy, that's not the right word, but the way Puffs tackles it. It's super well done. Is I think a beautiful way of doing it where it doesn't ruin the comedic integrity of the piece. Mm -hmm. And you have this emotional catharsis because you need that, especially mm -hmm. with a character like Cedric with a smaller one, like you can get away right. with it. Maybe not in Harry Potter musical or mm -hmm. whatever. Well, I mean, they just make Cedric annoying as fuck in Harry Potter musical, so it's a little easier yeah. to take his death. Right, and that whole catharsis is something that's kind of lacking in general in Harry Potter musical. You get a little bit of it in the second act, but they're not trying to do the thing where it's like you get this really high comedy and as you crash down, it really punctuates the more serious moments. And that's something that Puffs does very well. But I think Harry Potter musical is designed to just continually keep the circus rolling. 
Well, and honestly, you get 15 minutes in a very part of musical. We've gone so far off the rails. Yes. Canon is not a thing that they care. I mean, you get Snape trying to literally deliver a bomb sandwich. It is very special. I think we should touch on Voldy's emergence because we talked a lot about the two of them together. But oh I my think gosh, that great, is very cool the way they do that. Yeah, a great moment to have him come out of the cauldron and try to be this Broadway baby where he's like, I'm designed to be this fabulous dancer and that's all I ever wanted to do. But they were mean to me. I'm going to do a tap number now. End of act one. Victoria, do you want to read the thing for act two? All right, act two. Everything has changed. The government has declared Harry a total not super awesome mega cool kid. Ron has to deal with his big, thick, raging emotions for Hermione. Snape has to deal with his now extended nickname of Sneaky Eyes Hook Hand. And Voldy has to deal with being empty inside now that he is no longer the hump to Quarrel's turban. At least Dumby is still the same and won't give out any information until it's too late to be useful. After some good old-fashioned bullying of Malfoy and pulling the full Peter Parker and pushing his friends away, Harry goes to Dumby's office to admire his Zephron poster and learn that Horcruxes exist. Dumby, ever the responsible adult, then entrusts a highly dangerous weapon to a bunch of 12-year-olds. Unfortunately, Sneaky Eye's hook hand has already indoctrinated a small child and convinced him to let his evil friends into the school so he can finally succeed in his murder attempts on Dumby. With Dumby out of the way, Voldy is free to kill Fudgepacker and run the whole problematic government by himself. He starts as most governmental officials do by having a sexual experience in his new office that quickly devolves into missing his boy-to-boy quarrel. Harry continues to pout about losing Dumby, the most powerful, cool, beautiful wizard ever and continues to push his friends away until they come in and bitch slap him with harmonies until he comes to his senses. Malfoy repents for his actions because he wants a piece of Hermione, but it is ultimately Ron who gets the sweet, sweet, super awkward makeout session with her. The gang returns to Dumby's office to search out the final horcrux when Ron is emotionally assaulted by the Zephron poster. After stabbing an image of his new girlfriend in the face, Ron comes to terms with the fact that his guy love with Harry will always satisfy his needs more than any nerdy sex he will eventually get from Hermione. Just then, some death gobblers bust in and are promptly triple-crossed by Snape. This act earns him his final and full nickname of Sneaky Eyes Hook Hand Snake Dick. Quinn Molly shows up for her 12 seconds of fame to kill a bitch, then disappears back into the void where she came from. Sneaky Eyes Hook Hand Snake Dick then spoils the whole book series by telling Harry he is the final Horcrux all along. Voldy gets on his brain megaphone and tells Harry to catch him outside, to which Harry stupidly does, thinking he's being noble or some shit. Voldy kills Harry, Harry doesn't die, Harry has a lucid dream about seeing his Dumble Daddy, blah, 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 blah. You guys all know that part. With Harry gone, all his friends finally convince themselves they are good enough without him to handle their own problems. But then Harry shows up and they decide to let him solve everything anyway. Harry kills Voldy, wins the house cop, and they all live happily ever after. Even Quirrell, who spends the rest of his jail sentence getting his dick sucked by Ghost Voldy. Can you suck Ghost Dick? Yep. (laughs) These are the important questions we have to ask ourselves. I feel like in that scenario where Voldy is a ghost, Voldy is doing the sucking because I don't feel like it would work well the other way. But in the scenario where they're both alive. Well, then it's reciprocal. It's mostly reciprocal, but Quarrel's doing most of the work. Let's be real. I mean, Quarrel's been doing all the work all this time, so. Also, act two, the fuck. Obviously, act one is definitely them telling us, by the way, this is just going to get weirder. Mm -hmm. And then they make good on the promises to get weirder. Act two does attempt to, like, tie things up though Mm -hmm. they they do do a good job of making everything 
make sense in their own personal little universe. Agreed. Which is great. But Tara's left unsatisfied. No, I'm not not satisfied with it. I'm just like, wow, this just goes, whoa, all over the place. Introducing the whole like governmental side of things in the second act, I feel like skews the storyline a lot. It's definitely necessary for like knowing the whole story of Mm -hmm. Harry Potter, but I feel like it could have been excluded from this version. I agree, because the whole first act kind of feels like we're focusing on the house tournament or whatever. And then that's completely gone until like- That's like, oh, that didn't, no one cares about that right now. (laughs) Two minutes. Like the last two minutes of the show is when it comes back, which, okay, fine, cool. Like that happens in parody. It didn't feel like the same show in a way. I also just in general wish Bellatrix got to do more. I will agree with that. The stuff that she does have is pretty decent. The, the whole back sex scene is phenomenally written. That's really the only moment she has to shine because everything else she has is just like busting into Dumbledore's office and being a badass and then not like actually getting any lines or screen time or whatever. I'm also pretty sure out of everyone who is part of this group, she has the most extensive performance career outside of this, other than Darren Chris. That's something we talked about when we were watching it too. It's kind of funny to see which one of these people actually like went places as far as like the industry goes. There's nothing super different about a lot of their talents. Yeah. I had made the comment that it was funny to me and kind of just felt random luck in some ways that Darren Chris is like the one from Star Kid that's really mainstream in mm-hmm. a way. Sure, others have done things and whatever, but you watch Harry Potter musical and Darren Chris is not phenomenally more talented than anybody else. Correct. It's an ensemble piece where the ensemble is strong together. Mm-hmm. It's not like, well, shit, Harry Potter is amazing they're all good i think that just continues to show the collaborative effort that went into putting this together they're all aware of how fucking insane it is but they're also Mm -hmm. just working to tell the story whatever Mm -hmm. the hell that story is supposed to mean we don't know (laughs) i do find it funny i just pulling it out since i did listen to that in-depth episode recently it's really funny to me that like you guys had gotten on a tangent about peter parker and like pushing friends away and they specifically call it out as Spider-Man pushing away Mary Jane in the musical. It was Mm -hmm. just really funny because I listened to that episode and then came home and watched this and I was like, oh, they just talked about that. Right. This is totally unrelated, but on NPR today, they were talking about why they make new Spider-Mans every five years. Like it's legit in the contract with Sony and Marvel that like Sony gets the rights only if they make a new Spider-Man every five years and nine months. Hmm. If they don't get another Spider-Man movie, the rights go back to Marvel. Unrelated. That's Super not Harry Pottery. That is so it's random. Anyway. Also, the change of when people die and people's deaths in general. Dumbledore at the end being like, huh, not actually dead. I'm off to pig farts in my space suit. Can we get to meet Rumble Roar? I feel like Rumble Roar is already over Dumbledore. Which that was a whole thing. Like, I didn't quite understand <laughs> the point of that. Oh, I Honestly, think it's-, it's because they liked the way that that guy said rumble roar when he shouted it. So they needed to bring it back. Gotcha. That is absolutely like in the writer's room. I guarantee that's what happened. They heard him scream rumble roar and they're like, that has to happen more than once. Like the whole concept of pig parts. Like, yeah, it's so absurd. Well, that it works. 
It is absurd, but that actually has roots in the text of Malfoy, yeah, Malfoy wanting to go to Durmstrang. Durmstrang. Oh, but it's, it's so good. ridiculous and I kind of love it. The one thing that I really liked that they did was Missing You really was a cool theatrical moment to me because yeah. it draws the parallels because that one is Harry singing about missing Dumbledore and it's Coral in jail singing about missing having Voldemort attached to yeah. the back of his head. But it was just really interesting toss the two of them side by side. It was interesting to me that they put that from Quirrell's perspective when Voldy is the one that almost constantly in the scene work is talking about how much he misses Quirrell and how he still feels empty and, and all that. I don't know if it was a choice to bring it back to show that Quirrell also felt the same and made make sure it didn't feel super one-sided. Was, or was it just to show off that yeah. that kid had a fucking great voice? He did. We were talking about talent level. Him and Cedric had two very beautiful voices. And the girl who plays Ginny, she's got a great voice. She doesn't really yeah. get a lot of great stuff to sing, but she does get a her own song, so. I would be curious, Dan, and maybe Tara, I don't know how well you can speak to this. We know from Dan's text yesterday that Clearly, he had watched Harry Potter musical multiple times 10 years ago. 12. 12, 12 years, years ago. ago. Yes, my Facebook memories came up 12 years ago yesterday, a quote from Harry Potter musical. You know, obviously, the first time this came out, or when it came <clears> out, when you thought for the first time, your experience with theater and whatever was different and less mature than it is now. I guess my question for you both being, how has your interpretation of the piece your appreciation, your thoughts on the piece changed as you have kind of done more things, matured in your thoughts, your thinking. We're still very much in the target audience. Oh, absolutely. Right. It was written by people our age when we were that age. And, but, you know, we talked about it not aging super. So, from my perspective, it was definitely a better experience watching it 12 years ago. The jokes hit better. Things were a little more acceptable there. You know, shouting yeah. go home terrorist does not hit very well <laughs> anymore. And it was probably questionable then, but it's a lot worse now. Even still, from a comedy point and an enjoyment point, it was way better back then. But looking at it Why? now, because it fit the time better. It was what one. you needed when you needed it? Correct. Okay. So I think from an audience member standpoint, it definitely hit a lot better back then. And I think it is quickly getting to a point where it's going to age out and really not be good much longer. YouTube videos in general. Just yeah. Do that. But now that I rewatched it here and I have a lot more experience in the theatrical world and particularly a lot more experience on production staffs. It's actually a really well done piece of theater and it really shows off a lot of things that these kids learned in their acting classes and whatever classes they have on production aspects. But it was really well done to utilize the tools they had and to create this cohesive piece that blends the media with the theatrical aspects of it. So I really enjoyed that now. Got a very niche audience now, people who are really interested in the technical aspect of theater. I think you bring up a good point with like the aging out of the jokes. Like we talked as soon as the like go home terrorist came up, Dan and I were both like, oh dear God, that's no. Yeah. But 
you know, I think about that one TV show that you and I tried really hard to watch mm. that was really popular among and still is really popular among our age group that we didn't watch when it first aired that seems to go for those early 2000s holy crap you just said that shock factor and i think what was that show it's always sunny in philadelphia the first couple episodes like it's literally how many times can we say dumpster baby this dumpster baby we found like it is like all 2000 shock humor it's it which is yeah. would have been funny had we we been watching it in 03 04 whatever but now in 2022 it's yeah not you funny. can't onboard new people very well that's fair yeah, Barry potter musicals written what like 04 05 somewhere around in there 2007 i think or oh. eight nine it was before I graduated high school, I think. So if only been... we had a way to look this up. Oh, seven. I know, right? Oh, seven. If only there was a magical device that we could use to look at these things. That would be <laughs> wonderful. Oh no! Originally published oh nine. Tara wins. Dan loses. Yes. I want to touch on that final battle. That's where it really starts to follow along a lot more similar to the seventh book. It's like it like comes back around. Yeah. So it starts to get almost more canonical, but it's really funny to see the way that it progresses in this story much quicker because you really do get that whiplash moment of everybody being like, oh, Harry left us and blah, blah, blah. Well, we're still going to fight and we're going to be good on our own. And then Harry comes back and it's like, okay, well, he can just solve all the problems because that like really stood out to me. And that's something that actually kind of does happen a lot in the books, you know, just because Harry has this quote unquote destiny and he comes in and he does kind of magically worm his way out of every situation he's in. People count on that to a fault where they stop trusting themselves as much as they should yeah i mean that's human nature and i think a very like insightful look at human psychology do something enough for people and they'll stop trying to figure it out on their own and just let you do it for them that's fair I have a little game for you guys. Adam comes up with all of the fun new games. So this one is kind of a variation of one of Adam's games. So this is called the shipping game. Adam calls it all kinds of things, but I'm calling it the shipping game. I like to do rapid fire answers like we do with like word association. I'm going to give you the very Potter musical character and you're going to ship them with a book character. Shenanigans! The only one that I have feelings about and you can change it when I get to that person. You don't know where it's going to be in the lineup is that I absolutely ship Dumbledore with Dumbledore. That's who I am, but... The weird TV Herman situation there. Right? But I mean, book Dumbledore and very part of musical Dumbledore, I could just see. I'm just saying. So I'm going to throw some names at you and then... Y'all can't see the face of anguish I'm making currently. It's, yeah, it's a very convincing face mm-hmm. of anguish. But but it's anguish all up on my person. It's first person, of course, is Harry Potter. Uh, Colin Creevery. Camera kid? Yes. The Harry that Colin wants. That is the Harry that Colin wants. Huh. Do you have one, Victoria? I agree with Daniel. Oh, dear. Okay, Ron. How's a Hufflepuff? <laughs> I'm going Ron with Ron there. Yeah, I can see that one. I love all the Kramer shit. The constant eating. This is oh, why I want somebody who can cook. Okay, next. Yeah, she let me leave the kitchen to record this episode. <laughs> Got takeout for dinner. Yeah, okay. Okay, the next one is Hermione. Madam Pence. Ooh. 
Who dead? Oh, the librarian. That's right. Huh. Okay. Ginny. Side note, I really did not like in the musical itself how often Hermione's worth was equated to her beauty. And I know that that's something people find funny. I mean, that's a total theme of the book. But like, to me, I, as the self-proclaimed nerd that nobody ever thought was pretty, it just hit a little too hard. It's another one of those things that just doesn't age well. Yeah. I think. Um, You said Ginny. I said Ginny. My gut instinct, and I can't choose between the two, is Katie Bell or Angelina Johnson. I want that relationship and maybe I'm putting a lot more book Ginny into musical Ginny, but... These are book characters or just random fucking names you're pulling off the top of your They're head? They're book characters. They're Jesus on the Quidditch just wants more lesbian action. It's fine. Correct. See, I was going to say Hermione. Ginny's totally bi. You've had this discussion. She's totally... We have. We've had this discussion. I'm pretty sure Very Potter musical Ginny doesn't know she's bi, so this track. Right, and and she does super pine after Harry, but I like the thought of her coming into her own again and, like, going some totally random direction with Angelina. The musical one's got to be with Frabber Goyle. Like, she just needs henchmen. Yeah, she really do. She needs a henchman. Lockhart. Lockhart's not bad. Yeah, that's not bad. I, I did like a thing. <laughs> you did it. No, I like that one because, but dear God, the ego. Huh. Sometimes ego tempers ego. Sometimes it does not work out well if you have one person feeding into another person's ego. Okay, Dumbledore. I want to say Snape. I was thinking that. Because I just want to watch those interactions. I want oh, yeah. musical Dumbledore to follow serious Snape around and fuck up his day but Snape still love him anyway. He would totally fuck up his day. It's great. Okay, Snape. See that? I would go Dumbledore for the same kind of reason. That tracks. I like that. Bellatrix. Bellatrix. Yeah. Quirrell. Musical Quirrell. I honestly like him alone. Harry. There's something very charming about musical Quirrell. I I can give him that. And Voldy. Frank. The, like, housekeeper. I want him to go back to his house and live a quiet life with the guy who tends his papa's house. I really wanted you to say with the guy who tends his bush. Yeah. I mean, whatever Frank wants to do. You let me down. You let me down again. And canonically, this is only year two, so he would still be alive. True. Well... Again, Adam, if you have points and you want to put them here, feel free. Yeah, Adam. Ten points to Dumbledore. Right? It's just ten points to Dumbledore. No, no points. This isn't the book. Ain't no points to be given out if it ain't in the book. Penny. So next week, Adam and I will be discussing chapter 25, The Beetle at Bay. Thank you guys for being part of this. Absolutely. Thank you. It was really cool to go through all of the elements of it. So, and again, I have only seen it a couple of times. So forcing me to watch it again was also good. So if you haven't watched Harry Potter Musical and you were listening to this episode and you were like, the fuck are they talking about? Yeah, if you are a fan, it is definitely worth the watch. Like we may have beat it up a bit in the episode, but it is definitely worth a watch. It is. And you know what? Like it's all on YouTube. Just watch it. So it's free. Who doesn't love free? It is Um, an ad like 24 times between each video. But (laughs) unless you're one of those YouTube premium subscribers. In which case you have money. So you should donate to the Patreon. You're welcome, Tara. Yes, that's right. See, Dan's got it. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah. Basic snitches out. I don't know. I'm bad at these endings.
Basic Snitches is recorded and produced by Adam Bowers and Tara Gorkery. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to rate us five stars on your listening app of choice and share us with all your other friends who love Harry Potter and getting drunk. Yes. Join our social media pages, Facebook, Instagram. I never update Twitter, but we have that. We do. Also email basicsnitches at gmail.com. We also now have a website, basicsnitches.com. And a Patreon, patreon.com slash basicsnitches. Join today and get exclusive content every week and be acknowledged in every single one of our episodes. Taryn Telegra, dance bitch. I see you new friends who don't make me dance for nothing. Yeah, they ain't gonna come, honey. We out!